Hello, I'm Dr. Sam Hancock of the Emerald Planet and Emerald Planet TV. We come to you on a week-to-week -week basis from Washington, D.C. in the United States as we look around the globe in 144 different nations looking for those thousand best practices, the technology, services, and products that are making a difference as we move through the 21st century. And as we have a planet of 9 billion people by 2038 and possibly 12 to 13 billion by the end of this century, how are we going to be able to take care of all these people on planet Earth? And that's what Emerald Planet's all about. We come to you looking at the solutions, the best practices from around the globe as we create the Emerald Planet. Hello, welcome to the Emerald Planet. We're making a difference as we move through the 21st century. Seeing the long-term impacts of climate change, but we're glad to have you. Thank you for being with us. And we're looking around the globe as far as the coronavirus and other influenzas, as well as disasters and anything that interrupts normal human activity. And so I have a real expert sitting right beside me. It's going to be talking about the coronavirus, its impact, but also the hundreds of other viruses that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, disrupt families, communities, entire nations. And so we have to move on and see how we can do things in toto to plan in advance. And that's one of the things that we forget as societies is if something happens, we answer the call but we don't until it's too late. The call has already been made. And so this gentleman, this is Charles. He goes by Chuck Botwick. He's the president of CHB Infrastructure Technology and Marketing Group, and also the IPAC Individual Personal Aid Kit Company, which is uh, really critical in these days as far as dealing with all types of contagions. And Chuck, welcome back to the Emerald Planet TV. Always great to be with you, Sam. Tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, CHB, but also IPAC, both of those. And then let's get into what we're really talking about is contagion of all kinds and natural disasters. Well, I'm a water chemist by training, so I've been all over the world to deal with the quality of potable water. And what you learn is that a great deal of disease is communicable by in waterborne form, but mm -hmm. also otherwise, as we have now with the coronavirus. So we're, we always have a situation where we have uh, public health challenges around the world. Uh, they're to be expected. Yeah. And looking at, uh, this is a beautiful image of water. Why is water so essential? One, as far as life is concerned, because we now have expanded its uh, water plus oxygen that we have to have for really life, even though it's H2O. Uh, but also as far as uh, looking at all these uh, various contagions and natural disasters, water somehow figures into all of this. So it's our great savior, but it's also the great destructor. Right, well, uh, unfortunately, a, a great deal of the world's water supplies are contaminated uh, so that uh, drinking water, when it's uh, available, uh, makes people sick. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a problem with wastewater uh, treatment and disposal. Untreated wastewater or poorly treated wastewater uh, it gets into the river basins and water distribution mm -hmm. networks of the world uh, everywhere so that uh, contaminated wastewater is also spreading disease. So uh, situations where you have in the past uh, H1N1 or other types of influenza, they're not necessarily waterborne, but the issue of public health and how to deal with basic hygiene is what's critical. Yeah, and that's really the universal theme, isn't it? Really, it's hygiene and it's our personal responsibility, not just the state or uh, other organizations, but it really resides with the individual and the family. Right, well, th this is an area where particularly uh, and in today's environment, people ask, what can I do? And a, a mother in China or a mother in Detroit, somebody in a high-rise apartment or somebody in a village, wants to feel that they can take personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. 
and you can up to a point. This is why everybody talks about the basic hygiene principles, mm -hmm. washing your hands, disinfecting surfaces, and so on. So uh, I've coined the term hygiene for a small planet mm -hmm. is what we need. We're a small planet because there really are no borders. Yeah, it's, it really is, and we live. But looking at the, uh, the coronavirus, tell us what it is, uh, why you know, we're really so focused on that right now, because the flu kills way more people than this disease and most of the other contagions combined. So, but yet, you know, every year it seems like we have a, a new focus, a new, uh, you know, scary germ that's going to do some great damage to us as humans and as societies. Well, we're more or less conditioned every year to expect some sort of flu outbreak, influenza. And so one year it's H1N1, another year it's just uh, the flu. Uh, and uh, SARS is part of that as right, well. Right, exactly. And so people get flu shots and they try to be prepared. And I even joked with people before this season, well, we might have S2392X just making up something fictional. Right. Well, unfortunately, what's not fictional is coronavirus, which has a very strong impact on the world right now and is a true pandemic. Mm -hmm. Now looking at, uh, at the disease itself, what are we actually seeing in this thing? It certainly is ugly, but you know, what are we seeing here are just because it's something that we can look at through a microscope doesn't mean that we're really seeing that much. It's what it's doing. The outcomes is what's so important to deal with. All right, well, it, it spreads very rapidly uh, with close contact of individuals through the air, contaminated surfaces. It's debated how long the virus stays alive on surfaces, but this is why everybody is disinfecting surfaces. surfaces. Uh, but these are standard practices that are so important. So with the coronavirus, uh, the issue of containing the spread, mm -hmm. it's, uh, testing is key and the ability to uh, mitigate the spread uh, by basic hygiene programs, but also minimizing uh, personal contact. That's why you see so many public events being canceled. Mm -hmm. It's unprecedented, but it's prudent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those things that we need to do. So, uh, you know, stop the uh, coronavirus. You're talking about in essence have space, in other words, not have people in, in mass groups where they can spread this from, you know, one individual to the other. And they talked about, you know, not wiping your nose and then touching your eyes and then your lips and all these other kinds of things. But uh, looking at stopping the coronavirus, what other things can be done besides people, you know, just making sure that they're very clean themselves, but also they continue to clean the surfaces around them wherever they are. Right. Well, the other thing is, is to be uh, basically prepared uh, with the ability to uh, take your own temperature, mm -hmm. uh, to have uh, mm -hmm. supplies for just surface disinfection, counters, doorknobs, things of this sort, uh, whether it's a workplace, a home, or otherwise. These are the basic things for, that we're gonna learn to continue to do in greater fashion in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what these, these uh, new steps that we're taking, in other words, virtually every toilet you go in now, there's a way to clean your hands, but when you get ready to go out the door, there's a little paper tissue, there's usually some sanitation uh, wipe that you can put on, uh, you open the door, put that in. And, you know, three or four weeks ago, you would never see those, now they're absolutely everywhere. Right. So it shows that we can really... Uh, perform at the same time we can respond when we really need to or we're motivated by fear to do this. Right. Well, I, I think what we're going to see and what we have to do is have a long-term uh, change once this crisis passes in just basic personal and workplace uh, public space hygiene. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get back to normal, but we need a new normal about being more vigilant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is somebody who was uh, washing my hands. Somebody said, I'm not trying to get fresh with you, but, you know, we really are taking longer to wash our hands, aren't we? And just left. And absolutely it was true because I was doing my count to 20 seconds, 
You know, normally you don't do right. that. You know, right. you, you wash your hands and you dry them and all that. But now we're really being more vigilant about what we're doing. But going to this special pack that now exists for the coronavirus, this is something actually, it goes back four or five years. You and I started talking about these various packs, you know, for cholera, for, right. you know, many uh, malaria, many other different diseases that people would have, the flu, of course. Uh, and yet, you know, you're saying to me 12, 15 months ago, there'll be a new something. And of course, this has now appeared, but you're ready for it this time. So what is this pack about and how can people use this to protect well, themselves? Well, we call it an IPAC, which stands for Individual Personal Aid Kit. And the idea is that you can take personal responsibility. And the idea is that the kit has those kind of things which almost everybody reaches for, but it's all convenient and packaged mm -hmm. uh, to include uh, disposable thermometers, uh, uh, tablets which can be made into a bucket of bleach instead of having to buy a big container. So you have tablets, uh, you have the masks, hand sanitizer, but also oral rehydration salts. It's very important to stay hydrated uh, to help mitigate the disease. Now tell us a little more about that. This is something that actually I, I stay hydrated 70, 80 ounces a day. I take mm -hmm. my, you know, apple vi you know, white apple vi uh, vinegar uh, mm -hmm. cider. And so, but most people don't do that. So why, how does this become the new normal? Well, the population as a whole, we all are, tend to be chronically dehydrated. Mm -hmm. It makes us more vulnerable. So, so part of it is to make ourselves less vulnerable by better health practices. And part of it is just personal hydration. Because if you have dry membranes, uh, you're, you're, it's easier to get sick. I see, okay. And this is something about the mask. Now, uh, there's many myths about the mask. Everybody wants one, they want multiples of these. But do these really do any good? And what should we be wearing if we want to use a mask? Right. Well, the so-called N95 masks are really made for medical professionals. They should be properly fit tested. And if anybody's worn one, they get very hot uh, and it's hard to breathe. So to wear them a long time, as you see a lot of people wearing a mask all day, uh, those type of masks are surgical masks, mm -hmm. which can be three-ply and have a certain efficiency at uh, catching uh, particles of various sizes. So. If you're, if you're inclined to wear a mask, you'd wear a surgical mask for a long period of time and you would change it often. Uh, but uh, staying out of crowds at this point is prudent, mm -hmm. but also enhanced personal hygiene. Right. It's, and that's what we need to do going forward is to have, realize we're a small planet. The really, what's proven is there really aren't any borders and you have to take responsibility as an individual a workplace and a society uh, to mitigate uh, the exposure. Yeah, we've had this up before as far as this uh, corona kit. Uh, I'm, let me jump over because we're running out of time. I'm going to leave this up. One of the most simple things we can do is wash our hands, keep the services clean around right. us. What other two or three or four things should people be doing right, not just right now, but again, developing this new normal? And we're going to go out on that question. Right. Well, p part of it is to uh, be prepared to, if you have symptoms, uh, to take, be able to take your own temperature mm -hmm. to determine if you have a fever uh, is very important. So also having thermometers or disposable thermometers and also uh, complete hygiene of, of surfaces and so on and to uh, do the basics that your mother taught you. Right, okay, everything they say, what was it in the old book? It was everything you need to know you learned by kindergarten. And right. I think a lot of right. that is actually true. Thank you for being with us. This is uh, Chuck Botwick, president of CHB and also IPAC, Individual Personal Aid Kit. Thank you for being with us as we look around the globe to create the Emerald Planet. We're talking about contagion, could be the coronavirus, the flu, SARS, you know, whatever it's gonna be called. Every year there seems to be a new emergency, something that we need to deal with. But the whole thing is they're coming in more intensity, faster pace, 
And the mutation is really very scary because germs are very smart. Us humans have to really catch up with the germs and the viruses and the other kinds of contagion to protect ourselves as human beings because these are hitchhiking on the planet Earth with us. And I have a gentleman who's been uh, working on this for a long time, actually. This is Charles. He goes by Chuck Botwick, president of CHB Infrastructure Technology and Marketing Group, and also IPAC Individual Personal uh, Aid Kit. And we're going to talk more about that, Chuck. But looking at IPAC, what is an IPAC? We see the emblem here as far as the logo is concerned. Why is IPAC as a concept so important in today's world of almost now 8 billion people. All right, first, thank you, Sam, for having me. Uh, IPAC very simply stands for Individual Personal Aid Kit. And inherent in that name is personal. And the whole idea is that a hygiene has to start at the personal level. Mm -hmm. The whole issue of contagious uh, diseases, whether they're waterborne or air carried by air, uh, it's from person to person often, so personal responsibility is important, and if we all exercise it a little better, uh, maybe these type of uh, contagions uh, will be uh, minimized. We can't eliminate them, but be prepared for them. So it's an ability to uh, provide a personal capacity mm -hmm. to manage hygiene. And that's what the IPACs are for. And we're going to see this in a minute, but really the whole thing about it is to make it easy for people to be able to take care of themselves. I know in the past it's always about institutions, public health services, clinics, uh, hospitals, the military, what have you. But what you've do really done is made it very simple is that each and every one of us, whether you know, we're as an individual or a family, we really are responsible for everything that's around us. And I love this uh, image of water, but I'm gonna put it up from a very different purpose because water flows in and out, it goes where it wants to go. Disease flows in and out, mm -hmm. and in essence goes where it wants to go. Mm -hmm. So like water, how do we need to be prepared mentally and emotionally, mentally and emotionally for contagion, and it seems we're getting one every year? Well. I think most people feel better if they, there's something they feel they can do themselves. It's not that people want to avoid responsibility. They want to know how to take care of themselves and not to just be a victim. So the idea of the IPAC kits is that in one kit, uh, everything is conveniently in one uh, bag, if you will, uh, that makes it easy for people to take care of themselves, whether they're in a remote village in Haiti or in Africa or a high rise in Singapore or in downtown London. And that's why we have this, uh, this IPAC, but you know, the one you actually developed for Haiti was used in Haiti after the cholera outbreak there, is that this is something that's in a bucket and it goes back to the family and the family has everything it needs, right? Uh, well, the bucket was another type of kit, which was basically a, a, a five gallon paint bucket by right. American standards, a 20 liter bucket by international standards, which was filled with all kinds of family hygiene needs, everything from toothpaste and toothbrushes, laundry soap, bar soap, shampoo, in the event of disaster situations that you could give people in one container, whether it's a plastic bag or five gallon bucket was meant for a, a family mm -hmm. to have the ability for basic hygiene. Uh, now, why is that so important? Just like the water flows in and out, disease flows in and out, but we need to make it easy for people. Why, why do this? Because they can go to the store and, in many cases, buy what they need. Uh, well, the fact of the matter is many times people can't, especially if they're sick. Uh, so in the case of a cholera epidemic, uh, which took place in Haiti, uh, relief organizations would, for example, hand out packages of what are called oral rehydration salts, mm -hmm. which I call is, is a high-grade WH, World Health Organization, mixture of electrolytes. Mm -hmm. But it, it comes in the equivalent of a tea bag size, and it has to be mixed in water. Well, if you give it to people and they mix it in the same water they've been drinking, that's what got them sick to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we include in the kits water purification tablets bars of soap so they can wash their hands. 
uh, tablets for making disinfectant. Very simple, but it's all in one bag so it can be distributed to people in need or, if, or in another situation, somebody can just grab and go with it and everything is in one kit. And we think this is very simple, but uh, if you look around the United States with the various hurricanes we had, the, the flash f uh, fires that we've had across California, uh, looking at the flooding in the Mississippi Valley, all the retail, in many cases, just wiped out. Everything right. is you know, so flowing people, downstream. Right. They don't really have it. Right. People can't necessarily go to the store in the same way. Mm -hmm. And then maybe or there's no store, right? Or they're reaching for one thing on the shelf and it's gone. They're trying to get another thing that they need. And this puts everything in a kit, which can be distributed by relief organizations or people in advance can throw one in their car or have one in the house or kid goes to camp, could put it in their trunk. It's, it, this is the kind of preparation we need to have that helps to mitigate the public health aspects, the hygiene impacts of uh, disasters, uh, disease, and, and so on. Yeah. Now, we were looking at the, the five-gallon or 20-liter bucket so because we, we have an international audience. Right. Uh, but looking at the, the little bags as far as everything that people need, we talked about the rehydration, mm -hmm. talked about the, the tablets, you know, just like Clorox or some mm -hmm. other kind of product mm -hmm. going to sterilize and all that. Uh, and then these are individual packs, but yet these actually can take care of a family, correct? That's correct. And, and the idea is, is, again, individual personal uh, responsibility capability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People all over the world, when, when there are challenges in public health situations, want to be able to do something on their own to take care of themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. That's universal. Right, yeah. Now looking at, the, we're going to go through these. There are a number of different packs that you've been developing over mm -hmm. you know, the last four or five years. So let's just go so, through some of these, how they uh, address the issues, the similarities, but also the differences, because each of these are actually tailored to a particular contagion that's mm -hmm. out there, whether it's flu, the coronavirus, it's cholera, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it may Dysentery, be. Dysentery. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's go through some of these and how are they the same, how are they different, and why this mix or match opportunity. Mm -hmm. And by the way, why is having it in a bag so important? Okay. Well, there are similarities yet differences with the kits. For example, the uh, cholera kit is focused on the ability for rehydration. That's the most important thing. What kills people in cholera very quickly is dehydration. Mm -hmm. So the oral rehydration salts and the ability to have purified water uh, is essential and actually saves lives. So th that's what the heart of the kit and the ability to disinfect surfaces. Mm -hmm. Now the ability to disinfect surfaces uh, is ubiquitous throughout uh, different types of kits. We have a, a special spill kit because when you have uh, issues of, that are not so pretty with blood and human fluids and everything else, you've got to get that stuff cleaned up or you're going to spread disease very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the spill kit allows, has absorbance for spills, disinfectants, and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, before the coronavirus situation emerged, uh, we had developed a flu and germ prevention kit. And one of, some of the key items include disposable thermometers. Why? So if you're feeling ill, you can actually take your temperature and go, oh, I, I'm developing a fever. I might be getting the flu. I might be sick. And you can begin to take steps to either isolate yourself, get treatment, uh, take some uh, ibuprofen or whatever it might be. Take a nice walk in the sunshine and drink lots of fluids. Right, and, and so again, the rehydration is also present. The ability to rehydrate is in most of the kids. Hydration is a key to health in almost every situation. Uh, but getting back to the flu kit, uh, also you have uh, the masks that people uh, look to wear, uh, uh, gloves for sanitation, uh, you have bars of soap, uh, again, uh, everything in one kit so it's easy to get uh, the capacity to manage the hygiene challenge for a specific situation. Yeah, and looking at the overlap, I think we're uh, at that spill kit. 
uh, you're talking about the uh, body fluids and all that. This is something we don't really think about, you know, that, you know, we're uh, human beings, right. you know, people we're like mostly, to, we're mostly like water. To talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, mostly water. Uh, but we have all these fluids, we're digesting all the food. So we must be upfront about this is that we have the ability to contaminate our whole family and actually most of the community, you know, with one very sick person That's right. who gets out and we're not cleaning up after them. Right. So looking at that idea as far as these kits are concerned, and we just look at them generically, uh, the, the, the sanitizing of the surfaces. Let's go over some of those surfaces because we don't really think about, we just do these instinctively, but we don't think about the door handle as a door handle that's passing germs. It just gets us in and out of the door, right? Right, right. So what's, how do we look at these things very differently to prepare for our future? Well, we, we have to think about what we're touching and frankly, who else might have touched it and how often. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, viruses and bacteria have different, uh, let's say, shelf lives in terms of exposure to temperature and air and mm -hmm. sunlight. Some are more persistent than others. But the basic thing is those surfaces were, which are used commonly by people. It could be the knob to a cabinet mm -hmm. uh, in households that have TVs, remote controls. Mm -hmm. People think about that when they go to hotels and the remote control has been used by 20 other people and so on. So it's, you know, we, we don't want to get to where we're, quote, germaphobes, mm -hmm. but we do want to be aware to what we handle and that those things that are handled in common are cleaned. Yeah, and the whole thing about uh, going back, and I've, we've got multiple uh, images of washing our hands. This is one of the things that we're trying to get across. We have to do it, count your 20 seconds, or maybe it's even longer now. Uh, but you know, we're really just with soap and water, and they, they found even in India, not so clean water, as long as you had soap, and it was almost like the friction of rubbing that soap across your skin actually helped to kill the germs. Yeah. So we're running out of time. Looking at uh, the soap, uh, looking at these these eye packs, and where we're going in the future. I'm going to put this up. Nice photograph of you in Saudi Arabia and your work. Uh, what do you see all this going over the next five or ten years? And we've got about ten seconds. Uh, hygiene for a small planet. Everybody, individually, uh, workplaces, governments, agencies have to be equipped to manage hygiene at the personal level. Fantastic. This is uh, Chuck, Chuck Botwick, CHB, LLC, also IPAC, LLC. Thank you for being with us, talking about the hygiene for a small world as we create the Emerald Planet. Looking around the globe, one of the things that we ha constantly have to think about as far as disasters are concerned, and also to be take, able to take care of our own local communities is water. Water is life, and we're adding more and more this little uh, addition to water plus oxygen is life, uh, because what we found out in a number of our projects that if you're just putting water and not adding oxygen into things, things just don't work as well as they should. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the gentleman sitting right beside me has been working on water, water technologies, and also the wastewater treatment, which is critically important to combine these two together. So this is Chuck Botwick, CHB LLC, and also IPAC LLC. And thank you for being with us again on Emerald Planet TV. Great to be with you, Sam. Always glad to have you. Looking at uh, the situation with water, and uh, we have uh, some word slides up here, which we don't normally do, but this is so people can hear you know, what you're going to be talking about at the same time, visually be able to see it. Why is it so important that we focus on having water and wastewater treatment as a dual project, no matter where we're doing in the middle of the desert in Africa or downtown Baltimore or Washington, D.C.? Well, in order to have good potable water and good health, uh, we need to be sure that the sources themselves aren't contaminated. The problem is, is that there's so much untreated wastewater or poorly treated wastewater in the world that the majority of the world's rivers, streams, and other sources for water, uh, for drinking water, are contaminated by wastewater. Right. 
And we so. have to do something uh, about that. And uh, I'm going to skip over these because this is a lot of information most people can't see, but all about the various pathogens and uh, the uh, contamination that people can, can face. But let's get into the technologies because that's what we really like to emphasize here, uh, the various technologies. Looking at the system we have in front of us, you know, as far as water is concerned, in the past we had, you know, the potable water, uh, we had wastewater treatment. Now, because of the concept of new water, taking, you know, very dirty water and turning it into drinking water, is these are dual-use systems. And we're looking at one of these here. Now, how do we do that so that people don't go, yuck, not my water, but everybody's drinking recycled water right. and repurposed water. Right. So how do we do that through these units? How are they manufactured? How are they used? And how can they be made available in public spaces so that they can be used for small communities, right. even very large scale cities? Well, essentially what these containerized systems have accomplished, they were first developed for the military for bases where you couldn't manage taking large volumes of water in and out either because it was dangerous or difficult. So we had to come up with a system that was modular, transportable, and could take all kinds of water, toilet water, shower water, cooking water, and treat it and recycle it and make it fully potable. Mm -hmm. Now, the key is the final polishing that allows the water to be completely clean to a potable level. And in fact, these systems have been demonstrated and fully tested to take wastewater and give high quality potable water. Yeah, in many cases, this is really pure water because the type of technology they're using, in many cases, is much better than what we're getting out of most municipal systems now That's anyway. Correct. But looking at this, putting this in the back of a truck, I mean, this really is modular and it's very, well, we shouldn't say uh, movable, but it's totable and you can get it to different places. Right, it's easy to mobilize. Uh, it's just like a truck body, uh, what would be called an ISO container. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're really plug and play. And, and to that end, you can put them in parallel so they're very scalable. It could be for uh, a small community, a village, uh, could be for a uh, large zone of a city mm -hmm. which has uh, issues with the uh, current wastewater system. It allows to have an off-grid system. So the ability to have uh, these deployable units gives you a lot of capability to design solutions of different sizes. Now we're looking at the innards of, of this type of system and it goes to the filtration that they have and you're taking things down to one micron, which is mensical, actually even keeps uh, various viruses out. And looking Par parasites. at- Parasites. Mm -hmm, yeah. And looking at the whole thing as far as all these different contagion, you know, year by year we're mm -hmm. getting more and more right. virulent and uh, more dangerous. So how do we do this as far as these, you know, 300 plus legacy cities that we have, that have these large scale municipal uh, facilities that actually were built, some of them, 100 years ago and are gradually upgrading their quality. How do we leap time, how do we leap technologies to bring these to really 21st century right. quality and technology? Well, as the wastewater systems in any country uh, begin to age, you sh the need is to look at taking new technology. Uh, in the past, computers took up whole rooms now what's in our pocket is more powerful. And these systems essentially have done the same thing to make smaller the systems that can effectively clean water. Now looking at these uh, small units that we're gonna look at uh, right now, tell us about this and how does it work and, and what's the capacity and how do we add to these so we can mm -hmm. add more and more capacity? Well, uh, initially what's very important is to filter water to one micron because that removes uh, parasites, which are a big uh, public health issue. Uh, public systems are unable to do that because of the sheer volume. So you look at breaking down into a series of, of uh, scalable systems so that you can manage the volume and you can remove parasites uh, that sometimes uh, people mistake for fever. Mm -hmm. uh, you are able to get rid of hazardous chemicals, uh, metals, pesticides, 
all these contaminants of modern society by special uh, filtration systems that were developed. And then finally, you use ultraviolet mm -hmm. light uh, instead of chlorine uh, to take care of viruses and bacteria. Uh, you do all those things together and you have perfectly safe water. Mm -hmm. Now, in looking at perfectly safe water, uh, many people call this actually pure water. Uh, is it pure as it comes through that and mm -hmm. you're doing all this filtering down to one micron? Well, is you that have where it should be? Well, there's a difference between, the, the proper term would be, are you talking about purely distilled water, which have, has all minerals removed and everything else. Uh, uh, this water doesn't have all the minerals removed. It, it has a good taste to it. It's removing what needs to be taken out that can make you sick. Right. Okay. Uh, and also by not using chlorine, by using ultraviolet light, uh, you're not creating chlorinated hydrocarbons, which are a known carcinogen. Not going to give you cancer today or tomorrow, but if you drink that water over decades, it has a, the capacity to cause cancer. So the World Health Organization has said, let's get away from chlorine. Ultraviolet is better. You can use chlorine in distribution systems, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, for the actual disinfection, ultraviolet is great. Now, looking at this uh, special cart here as far as water filtration is concerned, uh, this is really in miniature what a very large system would be able to do. On this cart, do we have everything that we need that would make the water as clean as we need it to have down to the one micron? Yes. And to allow yeah, people to feel very secure in the water they're drinking, you know, like uh, DC Water says, do the tap? Mm -hmm. Well, these systems are all designed, uh, they're scalable, so every unit, whether it's uh, what we would call a village unit, mm -hmm. uh, small, small volume unit, all the way up to uh, millions of gallons a day, it, it's the same principle to clean the water. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at these uh, containerized units, this is something that we set up in military uh, zones, uh, disaster recovery and all that. So what do we have here that actually allows people to have confidence? Yes, we just had a major hurricane or a tornado or you know, flash fire destroyed our infrastructure, mm -hmm. but we know our water is safe. Well, it's a good question, and uh, it's a challenge in many cases where water and wastewater infrastructure is damaged. Uh, in, an, in a disaster. Uh, what these containerized systems allow to be done is to mobilize them and place them uh, to supplant other infrastructure that was destroyed without having to wait a long time to rebuild it. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, we've run out of time, as always the case when we're together on Emerald Planet TV, but I'm gonna leave this up as far as this uh, inline containerized system we have here. What do you see over the next five, 10 or 15 years of even in large scale cities like a New York or a Chicago or a Los Angeles where the, the infrastructure is being strained, it's aging and all that, where do we need to be going, Chuck, in your estimation for well, the future? Well, there's no question that in the future, now and in the future, we will be recycling wastewater. We cannot afford to waste water mm -hmm. and not treat it. So the treated wastewater to potable, high-quality water is the future for the planet. Yeah, that's fantastic. New water. Thank you. This is Chuck Botwick, the uh, CHB LLC, IPAC LLC. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for being with us on the Emerald Planet TV. Looking around the globe and all the various contagions that we run into on a day-to-day -day basis, we see it on the news, we hear about it, actually it even comes into our own communities. So it's very difficult to escape. But natural disasters is something that is becoming more commonplace as we really do have climate change. And so there's many things that we need to think about and do and to mitigate as far as natural disasters of all type that are coming in. And a gentleman who's a specialist in this, has a number of decades doing this kind of work, is Charles. He goes by Chuck Botwick, President, CHB Infrastructure, Technology, and Marketing, and also has a what's called IPAC Individual Personal Aid Kit Company as well. 
And looking at all this, uh, the IPAC is people can take care of themselves individually. But on the other side is that, you know, a lot of these disasters are huge, way beyond what we can do as individuals. In many cases, it's way beyond what most governments can do at the same time. So looking at this, Chuck, why is it so important that we pre-plan, pre-think, uh, pre-stage things before we get a disaster and that we are well prepared, which in most cases we're never? Well, again, Sam, thanks for having me. Uh, disasters and I'll call them event situations, which create uh, uh, very big strains on resources uh, to take care of populations are a big challenge. And uh, disasters create uh, public hygiene disasters within the disaster itself that a lot of people don't contemplate. Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware of, of these, uh, uh, in a hurricane, a flood, uh, an earthquake, there can immediately be. And now fires are becoming mm -hmm. as dangerous as any of these. Mm -hmm. Right. Which we never had to really think that much about. In the, right. Had some forest fires, but these wiping out whole towns. Right. It's a big so deal. in any of these cases, you're, you're causing a big burden on ordinary life. Uh, and what can happen very quickly, you can devolve into a public health nightmare. Mm -hmm besides the fact that maybe people are knocked out of their homes, uh, they've lost possessions, you have damage to public infrastructure. As an example, uh, in, in areas that are tropical or subtropical, when you have hurricanes and disasters, you often have uh, uh, standing water uh, remaining, which result in huge outbreaks of mosquitoes, what professionals would call insect vectors, right. which create an absolute nightmare situation for responders uh, where they almost need moon suits because of the outbreak of insects and the insects can spread malaria in certain parts of the world and so on. So these are, are foreseen, unforeseen consequences. Mm -hmm. So part of it is that we have to be prepared for the hygiene impacts of, of major disasters and that includes uh, all the basics from clean water, mm -hmm. ability to manage wastewater, and uh, public health needs. Now looking at this, uh, one of the things that uh, many organizations are doing and governments is going in and try to rebuild very quickly. So we have, uh, you know, look at a picture here as far as people re rebuilding homes so they get back to some kind of employment, mm -hmm. right. some kind of normalcy as far as, mm -hmm. you know, their day and nights and all these other things because when you have a disaster, everything is disrupted and you want to get back to some kind of pace. Uh, looking at uh, all of this and getting pack people back to normal, what are the, some of the things that we need to really think about in that that's very useful so psychologically, emotionally, people are able to get through whatever disaster that they've had, the losses they've had, right. but yet realize that the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. Well, one thing that really helps people no matter what and what situation is to be able to take care of basic personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. So just having a toothpaste and toothbrush and soap and water and some towels or towelettes, uh, uh, ability to uh, wash your clothes, um, sunscreen if you're in an area that has a lot of sun, uh, just basic hygiene items can at least make people feel comfortable. They're as missed immediately as is water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So being able to distribute hygiene items is extremely important in almost any disaster situation. Yeah, you were telling, we were talking earlier about, you know, just being able to take a shower, even if it's cold water, but mm -hmm. uh, a little tiny bar of soap, but yet it just refreshes you in ways beyond what we can imagine you know, we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But another one you talked about I thought was quite interesting, just being able to brush your teeth. Yeah, it's one way to feel a little bit fresher. Right. Looking at the hospital that we have in front of us, this is something that uh, many uh, 
situations, you know, like a Puerto Rico or, uh, you know, Houston, those places where they had great damage to infrastructure. A lot of it was for the health infrastructure was destroyed. So uh, why is that so uh, critically important to have this, but to have it pre-staged so it's being shipped as a disaster is happening, well, not waiting months to try to rebuild something? The, the answer is that in a, a disaster or event situation or public health crisis like coronavirus and others, you need surge capacity. Surge capacity doesn't come out of the woodwork. Uh, we, we need to, as a society, as individuals, uh, as companies, to be more prepared to be able to mobilize, uh, to take care of ourselves uh, beyond our normal infrastructure. That means having uh, mobile hospitals, mobile equipment, pre-placed uh, kits with food, water, hygiene supplies in various nodes in the world. Uh, these disruptions are happening with more frequency and in different ways, and we need to be capable to deal with the surge capacity by pre-placement. Mm -hmm. And looking at this hospital here, this is something that actually can be done. What's about this? Let's just uh, stop here for a minute. What's about this hospital we're seeing now that allows the surge capability, and how was it designed, and then how is it delivered? and set up so that actually it does respond, right. not quite, but almost as instantly as possible. Well, the, these systems are designed to be completely portable and mobile, easy and quick to deploy. So they're containerized. They're containerized. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be put on a, a, a cargo plane, a truck, and brought to a location and set up, and within a very short time, hours, mm -hmm. Uh, you just have to have medical personnel to manage them. That's another issue of surge capacity. Of course. Uh, but the, to answer your question, you need to have the ability to have equipment that can operate independently where there may not be any power, mm -hmm. there may not be any water, which means you also have to have the ability to have portable power, mm -hmm. portable water purification, uh, portable communications. All of the things that are normally working, you have to count on that they will not be, or you're in a remote area where you don't have them. Mm -hmm. uh, we looked at the outside of this and the portability and all that, but looking at the inside, uh, I mean, this looks almost like a normal hospital, but all this really is portable equipment. That's right. And so in having this, how do we stage that? How do we know what capacity that we need or is that based on the size of the community before the disaster, we're planning that? Or do we look at past disasters and say, okay, this is what's happened in the past, or is it a fusion of both of those? Well, I, I think the uh, medical professionals are very good to help, that I've worked with to help design uh, packages of, of medical supplies mm -hmm. that are appropriate for a certain uh, uh, population, also by age, pediatric supplies are different. Uh, and uh, how to package them into movable uh, cases uh, that can easily be identified in the field. So again, it, it, it requires professionals to sort of design a medical cache, if you will, mm -hmm. of, of supplies that are appropriate. Mm -hmm. and, and I would have to say that what's appropriate to a civilian population is very different than, say, if, if there were a military situation. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this, Chuck, is that uh, the last couple of years, because the size, scale, intensity of these disasters, more and more military bases are being hit, and some of them almost totally destroyed. You know, and that's billions of dollars worth of infrastructure because mm -hmm. a military base, in many cases, being on the size and scale, is a functioning city. Correct. And it's on 24, you know, 24-7, 365. So looking at water and the need for that, and it's off-grid in all, most all cases, because there's many cases there's nothing to plug into because that's been destroyed. Right. And also wastewater, something we don't really talk about or think about. Right. Well, you hit the key word uh, before I did, which is off-grid. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about the fact that you're going to be off-grid, meaning that you don't have any working or, or easily available 
water, power, sewer, uh, and so on. So no grid whatsoever. What you try to do is work with equipment that you know can stand on its own, operate off-grid with its own power supply, mm -hmm. and to be able to uh, design systems that can sustain for a longer period of time in the field completely off-grid. Now, this is one of the things that you and I have been talking about literally for years now since we've known each other. And more and more of the convocation, uh, conversations coming up as far as National Guard bases, military bases, because again, they are the ones that almost are the first responders of any scale mm -hmm. in a lot of these communities and can really help out. So how do we think about such permanent hardened facilities mm -hmm. And from the standpoint of distributed energy, distributed solid waste disposable, distributed water, all these things that we thought about, you know, as far as being part of our basic, you know, infrastructure, and in many cases, more and more is being destroyed. Well, it's important for uh, the key uh, support elements of our society to be, be able to operate mm -hmm. off-grid in case of disasters are the ones that are supposed to be able to take care of us so they have to be operational and the way they can be operational is that in an event situation where normal infrastructure is interrupted they have the ability to continue to operate so actually the direction towards decentralized systems uh, gives stronger sustainability mm -hmm. yeah man we have a photograph up here of people actually distributing these uh, individual uh, personal aid kits and and uh, also we'll see the mask but you know this again the frequency of this the intensity and the just the enormity of the disaster and the loss what do we need to be thinking about over these next 5 10 to 15 years as a society and as people leaders in our community and we well, got to be quick we need to anticipate and expect these things to happen and be prepared by pre-planning. I tell you, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is Chuck Botwick, president of CHB Infrastructure Technology Marketing. Also the uh, president and uh, managing partner, IPAC Individual Personal Aid Kits. And thank you for being with us as we create you, the Emerald Planet.